And if you turn back to the other side there, you'll see that we continue in the Gospel of Luke and are at the end of chapter 10, beginning in verse 38, following just on the heels of the parable of the Good Samaritan. We come now to the story that many of you are familiar with of Mary Mary and Martha. Verse 38 to 42. It reads, Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which shall not be taken away from her. I think we live in a world that is much like Martha's in this this little story here is a world filled with many distractions that surround us all the time. Our, our phones, they're beeping and ringing. Uh, the radio or podcast is chattering away. The TV is continually splashing more and more images before us. And if it's not those things, or in addition to those things, it's our, our family vying for our attentions, our jobs, the church, all around us, there is noise of things to do commitments to fulfill, our energy, our lives, our time to be given to various tasks that involve these things. There's always something to give our attention to. We're called to do all of it as well, as you all know and probably feel the burden of, to do it all to the glory of God the Father. It can be exhausting in truth at times when we are faced with all of it all at once the experience of life lived under these conditions with all the noise and all the calls to service, we are busy, are we not, with many things. And I think that this text is fitting because it meets us just there in our busy lives. It calls us to look and follow the example of Mary. She is for us what in musical terms could be called the cantus firmus. Or at least she points us to that. In the confusion of the polyphony of voices that surround us and threaten to drown us, she directs us to a stabilizing, constant melody amidst it all. The strong song of Jesus which roots us, grounds us, and settles us amid all the noise. Following her to Him, we can find not only grounding, but I think even the means to experience almost miraculously, the noise of life, not as chaos, but symphony, an ordered song, an orchestrated music. She helps us toward that good portion, as it's called here, which will not be taken away. And so I think it is good for us to look at the text and to follow Martha as she goes to follow Mary, that we too might lay hold on this good thing that's held out for us here. You see, the text opens with Jesus and His disciples, and they're doing what they've been doing for the past few chapters, the past few messages. They're, they're on their way to Jerusalem. Jesus has, as you remember, set His face steadfastly towards that goal. He has a purpose for which He came, and, and the reason why He is on earth is to complete it. And so He's going 
in that direction. He set his face there. His great purpose drives him on. And so we read that they are in the way. They went on their way. And as they're on their way, it says Jesus entered into a village. And I think it's worth our time to just pause and notice that along the way. That statement of entering the village. Because I think it's easy to hear about Jesus and His purpose to go to Jerusalem with steadfastness and eagerness and think that this is a very hurried kind of thing. It is frenetic. We assume that this is a a march that cannot be interrupted. It it is arduous and unstopping. It is all filled with with roads and camps beside the road and, and, and temporary things with a hurried nature about it. It is avoiding all distraction at all costs. Something like traveling as we so often do on interstates and not the highways that pass through the towns and encounter the stoplights and the, 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 the little shops and people. But here we find something other than that, don't we? He doesn't hurry past. He doesn't go around the city like on a beltway as we would. He goes right into the village. He enters it. He stops. He lingers. Accepting an invitation into someone's house, it says. At the end of verse 38, a woman named Martha met him and welcomed him into her house. And instead of rejecting her, her invitation, he accepts it. He enters the first house he comes to in the town. And his peace is seemingly received and remains there. In that way, you see, he's embodying something of those commandments that he gave to the 70 when he sent them out to be witnesses. Stop. When you get to the first house, enter there. And if your peace remains there, stay there and eat whatever is given to you. It's not an interruption, you see. It's not a distraction. It's not taking him away from the way. But instead, it's, very, it's actually part of the way. It is a step in the journey. And I think it's important for us to stop and notice that because our Christian lives are like that. We, we often think of them and they're spoken of in Scripture as a race. But it is a kind of race that is said to be run with patience, which is an odd sort of race when you think about it, running with patience. They are lives that are lived not as continual motion, but as stages along the way. You can remember in Genesis that as Abraham travels, it says he travels in stages. He's always stopping, spending time to build an altar before he does the work of worshiping the Lord and camping there and eating his food. Similar with with Israel as well. When you read of them in the wilderness, they're not just hurrying through the wilderness, but they are camping and stopping and resting and rising again and camping again. And the whole journey is taken in this way, in stages. Steps along the way. And our lives are that way. We move in and out of various stages of life, do we not? No matter how much we hurry or how busy we are, we get stuck in these periods that characterize our lives, stops along the way. And I think that rather than being uh, uncomfortable with that fact, we can look here at Jesus and find actual rest in it. We can be thankful for the stops and for the pauses that God works into our lives. For He treats us not as machines that must run continually without stopping, but as men made in His image who need such things. We need stages. We need stops. We need respites. We need ends along the way. And Jesus embodies that for us here. And it hints at something else that should characterize our lives as Christians. Rest and contentment. Contentment. 
The ability to take things as they come, not as interruptions, but steps along the way. A a way that is paved and ordered with those things by God who orders all things for us. It is an attribute of the character of true discipleship in a world providentially ordered by God to be content with these things. And I think that's the first thing we should notice from the text. This, This contentment in God's ordering of our way. A willingness to accept hospitality and rest and stoppage when it comes. Not as something to be run away from, but as something to be received. And then, fittingly, the text turns toward the household of Martha, but not first to Martha. Look at it in verse 39. Martha, who invited him to her house, is replaced with a description of a sister. It says that she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. It is intentional that the text turns us there first. The text, you see from the very beginning, is moving us in the direction of Mary. It wants us to focus on Mary. Before we hear any of the acts of Martha, before a single letter is even penned about her service and what she's doing as the one who's been hospitable to Jesus, our eyes are directed toward her sister, Mary, and what she's doing. Martha, for the moment, is lost. And if you and I were reading really slowly and we paused for a moment, we might actually wonder where she's gotten off to. We expect to see her next. And it's only in verse 40, the next verse, that we run into her again. And with this introduction, but differently than Mary, Martha was distracted with much serving. The King James has, she was cumbered about with much serving. The language has this sense of being literally pulled or dragged away by the service itself. You know what it's like to sit at a restaurant and have a TV playing in the background and you're trying to pay attention to the conversation at the table and your eyes, they get directed and dragged away to the TV and what's happening up there. This is similar to that. The service, the call to service, the call to hospitality, it grabs her, it pulls her, it draws her attentions away. And notice how God the Holy Spirit describes the the character of this service that drives her away. He doesn't say about it that it was bad, nor does He say that it is good. He only calls it much. He says she is busy, distracted with much serving. It's not insignificant that this story comes just after the story of the Good Samaritan either, is it? This parable that's given us a picture of a true, of true service, of what it looks like to fulfill one of the, 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 the greatest of the commandments of God. There's the first one to love Him with all of our hearts, minds, and souls, and the second one to love our neighbors, ourselves. And we've just seen what it looks like. And it looks like a man giving all of his day and all of his time and a good portion of his money to this person he finds along the side of the road. So hearing that, we may be feeling a strong compulsion to go and do likewise. Isn't that what he said? Such a call may so distract us that it takes us away from everything else. Compelled by the strong call to love our neighbor, we may actually be distracted from our neighbor. And I think that's why Jesus, why the Lord gives us this story. We, like Martha, feel the pull of service. Each of us we all know what it is to be too, too distracted and dragged away by duty, by activity. In truth, 
Are our lives not filled with much serving? The opportunities, they abound, do they not? And many of them are good. Family duty calls, our parents, our siblings, our spouses, our children, our grandparents, our aunts, our uncles, our nieces, our nephews, our cousins. And then there are the regular duties of home. We've got to eat, breakfast, lunch, dinner. Food needs to be prepared. Laundry, especially in a house with five children, needs to be done regularly. The kitchen, it needs to be clean. The, the lawn, it needs to be mowed. That, that broken thing that's been on my list for weeks, it needs to finally be fixed. The lights, they need to be turned on. No, the lights, they need to be turned off. The doors, they need to be locked. The doors, they need to be unlocked. The blinds, they need to be opened. The blinds, they need to be shut. Plants, they need to be watered. The dog, it needs to be walked. The cat, it needs to have new litter. And the fish, the fish, oh, I forgot about the fish, right? And in addition to our home, there's our work. you got a deadline to meet this week. There's a project that you have to finish. You have fellow employees that you feel the necessity to get along with so that the work environment will be a good one. There are contracts and contract extensions. There's buying and selling, waiting and acting, all of these things. And I've not even mentioned yet hygiene, showers, haircuts, teeth brushing, flossing, dentists, doctors, and of course, the ever-present bills that you have to pay. All these things, you see, They're common to man, are they not? They're things that we all know as a constant duty. And becoming a Christian, we might think, ah, finally, now the things will get easier. But it is the very opposite, isn't it? Rather than lessening the load, what does our conversion do but add to it? Remember, it's the entrance of Jesus into Martha's home that makes the serving much It brings on the fullness of the busyness. And so it is with us. At the entrance of Christ into our lives, all our business takes on greater significance. I'm not just called to love my wife, but I'm called to love my wife as Christ loves the church. I don't need to just get along with my employees. Brothers and sisters, I am called to seek and save the lost and to worry about their very souls. I don't just try to do a good job. No. I'm not there to serve and please the eyes of men, but actually to serve and work for God Himself, even when no man is watching. And then, as I'm a Christian, not only do my regular duties deepen, I've had the added duty of church, and it's called to serve. Bible study, prayer time, choir, care groups, morning and evening service, Sunday school, and on and on the list goes. It really is overwhelming, isn't it? It's overwhelming. It really does distract us. We really do find that it's all too much for just one of us to bear on our own. And so what do we do faced with it all? Well, we do like Martha does, don't we? We go to the Lord. We expect Him to see and sympathize with this burden and to help us with it. Our anxiety, anxiety over these things, our anxiousness, it, it moves us to prayer. And as this is as it should be, of course. We're called to be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving to make our request known to God. And so in verse 40, what does she do? She went up to Him, Jesus, and she says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve all by myself, all alone? Tell her then to help me. Help me. You can see that she's being polite. She calls him Lord. 
But at the same time, you feel the urgency of it, don't you? There is underneath her politeness the, the cry. There's no time for this inactivity. Things got to get done. We have to finish these things. There's so much to do. She should be helping me. Why isn't she helping me? Tell her, Lord. And though we seek it honestly, as she does, and pray for it fervently, as she does, when we come to God with these sort of requests, God does not always agree with us. He doesn't come into the same place with us and share such anxiety. He doesn't automatically say yes to our request. Because prayer is not an exercise of conformity for God to become like us, but instead for us to be conformed to Him. And so He often meets our urgency and cries with a calm and peaceful no. And that's what He does here. Verse 41, it begins with the adversative. It says, but... But, the but, also comes with, notice it, much tenderness and condescension. But the Lord answered her. And that's important. He answered. He hears. He's paying attention. It is not vain to call upon the name of the Lord. He answers her, Martha, Martha. And it's hard not to notice the tenderness and the sweetness and the doubling of the name, is it? He's, he's being kind. He's, he wants her to listen. And then he says, you are anxious and troubled about many things. He knows her, doesn't he? He, he declares her to herself. You're anxious, aren't you? And you're troubled about many things. And that word trouble has, has about it the sense of being in a state of confusion or in the midst of a clamor of activity or even out of sorts. And I wonder if that's the way that you feel in the midst of all the clamor of activity in your lives. you ever just feel out of sorts or, or confused? And if so, hear Jesus tell you that He knows. You are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing, verse 42, is necessary. And Mary has chosen the good portion. And here is that word of truth that is in the center of this whole text, the, the thing that has the, the, the weight to it. She would have brought Mary away from Jesus and into her busyness, but Jesus by her busyness brings him to himself, her to himself alongside of Mary. Despite herself, she finds herself right there at his feet with her sister, with her sister at the feet of Jesus, listening to his word. It comes graciously and with knowing compassion and yet truth, but truth that's spoken in love. You are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Look at your sister Mary. She's chosen the good portion. Now in the history of the church, we, this has been read to, to, to understand some kind of life that is a life of the contemplative. So that Mary has in some sense become a nun at this point or and that such a life is the good portion of society. And so you have the medieval society with two different parts of the world where you have the normal way of life and the contemplative way of life and the contemplative way of life being more holy and the better portion that's necessary for the whole. But I don't think that is what is meant here. This is not a call to leave worldly occupations. It is a call rather to have in worldly occupations, in our busyness, good the good in them. 
We all know the language of the dinner table. When you sit down for the family feast, say it's turkey on Thanksgiving, and you begin to carve up the turkey, and you take a very specific piece and give it to one of the people at the table and say, take that. That's the good part right there. Eat it. Or you're listening to a song or watching a movie, and as you're listening and watching, you, you quiet your company with you and say, just hold, be quiet. Listen, listen. Here it comes. This is the good part right here. My, another example is my family and I, we like to go to Chick-fil-A to get ice cream, and they all know that when Daddy gets his ice cream, he likes the very end with the little squares when the melted ice cream gets down in the bottom of the cone, because that is the best part. And I almost eat the ice cream to get to that part. That's the part I want. I listen to the song because I want to get to the part that I really like that's the best part. I sit down at the meal because I want the piece of the turkey or whatever it is because it is the best part. The very best part. All the rest is only a means to get there. It is, as we say in other contexts, the cream of the crop or as the Bible talks about it, it is the, the fat of the wheat that we want. And the question is, what is it that makes good things good in life? What is it that makes the the, the richness of rich things rich? What is it that gives it its fatness? Is it the things themselves or is it something else? Something intangible? I'm sure you've all noticed that sometimes you can go for that thing that you always want to have, that good portion, and when you go to get it in the thing that you usually find it in, it's absent. And you don't know why. And so you try again in another context and it's still not there because the thing that's good in it is given by another. The good comes from another and is another and it's namely God. He is, is He not, the good of the good. He's the one thing needed to make everything else good. Without Him, all goodness is as no goodness at all. To quote our pastor from his book the attributes about the attributes of God. Food loses its savor without Him. Marriage loses its sweetness. Parenting its joy. Worship its substance and end. If you lack good in these things, the reason why you lack it is because you lack Him. Every good and perfect gift comes down from above from the Father of lights with whom there is no shadow of turning. It comes from Him. And He can only be found where Mary is. She sits at Jesus' feet. None can come to the Father except through Him. He is that melody, the firm one, the cantus firmus, the good and true and beautiful in all things. First Colossians 1, 16-17. All things were created through Him and for Him, and He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. That's what Paul says. Follow Mary to Him, is what the text is telling us. And have in Him all things. In Him, God the Father. Through Him, God the Holy Spirit. By Him, the Word of God, living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Sit in awe at those most blessed feet and find in your busyness not chaos, but a song, a well-ordered world that's knit together and held together for the glory of God and by His almighty power. And then notice lastly, that to do this, to follow Mary, to come to the feet of Jesus and listen to the Word, to get the good part, comes with a promise. At the end of verse 42, it's there. Mary has chosen the good portion, and then it says, 
which will not be taken away from you. It won't be taken away from her. This life, y'all, this life is going to end. It's passing and will pass away. And with it, all of our business, all of our business will go. All that we are anxious about, all of our, our troubles and anxieties, they will end. They will be taken away. Not only those bad things like our anxieties, like our dangers, like our toils, like our snares and pain, but also the good and necessary things. Marriage, family, bread, food, drink, friendship, hard work, sowing, reaping, success. It will all, all of it, will be taken away. But the good portion of those things, the fat in them, that fellowship with God and Christ that you experience in those things, that will never, the promise says, be taken away because they will find their fullness in Him when we see Him as He is. Marriage will find its fullness. Food will find its fullness. Family will find its fullness. Friendship, hard work, sowing, all of it, its fullness in Him, in glory. The grace which you come to know in common things and even those special things that are the delight of Christians will be yours in Him forevermore. It is yours, the text tells us, as you follow Martha, who follows Mary, to Him. And the stops and the stages, and yes, even the frustration of much service is all instrumental in bringing us to the feet of Jesus, the one who is, according to that musical term, our cantus firmus, who makes not only our goods good, but even, wonder of wonders, our bads, and even our busyness good. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're thankful to you for that good portion that is pointed out for us here by the, by the action of Mary and your compulsion of Martha to bring her to your feet. Father, we're thankful that we might even now sit at your feet and hear you and so receive that same good portion to go forth from this place and know you, the living and true God, in all of our busyness. May it be to us as a well-ordered song given to us to walk in and to to serve you in and to even fellowship with you in. Be with us as we go forth from this place, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.